So this morning, the title of this morning's message is Set Your Eyes on Things Above. And I, and I hope, I pray that you would be encouraged this morning, uh, putting all things in proper perspective as we do go into this, uh, this season. Uh, not only is it Thanksgiving this week, but we're looking forward to times of, of gathering together with family and friends. We're, we're looking forward to celebrating the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we are to set our eyes on things above. So let's start out with a word of prayer. Father, we are thankful. We are grateful, Lord, for salvation. Lord, we know it through your Son, Jesus Christ. And so we come full, thankful, grateful, Lord, for the love that you first demonstrated to us. And I pray this morning that you would help us to, uh, Lord, avert our eyes from the things of the world. Lord, that we would draw back and allow, allow ourselves not to be distracted or overwhelmed by technology, social media, the, the things that we're being bombarded with, the issues that we are faced with today, circumstances, difficulties, problems. Oh, the things keep coming. Father, but I pray that at this very moment, Lord, that you would give us just, just that moment that we would see things clearly for what they are. Lord, I'm reminded of, of Solomon how it is that he was a king here who had everything. And yet, in the end, he said that man's all is to fear you and obey your commandments. Lord, if any man could say that the things of the world would bring happiness and fulfillment, it would be him. And yet he didn't. In the end, he had those words to share with us. And so I pray, Father, that, that we would listen to those things. And Lord, that we would give ourselves to you in such a way that our eyes would be fixed on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. And so it is with that perspective, and I pray with that position of our hearts, that we come to you this morning and ask, Lord, that you would speak to us. Lord, we're ready. We have inclined ears to you. And ask, Father, that you would simply speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So set your eyes on things above. In 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 34, it says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. You see, a person who is consistently grateful to the Lord is a person who is joyful, content, and he is a person. This is a person that is also encouraging because he has much to encourage others with. Nothing, little or much. You can say, I'm content, for I have the Lord. He is enough. Is he enough for you this morning? Is he enough for you to be grateful for, regardless of what you're faced with, regardless of the circumstances that you find yourself in? Is he enough? And if he is enough, then you too can say, nothing, little or much. I am, I am content, for I have the Lord. He is enough. 75 of the 150 psalms are attributed to David. Did you know that not all of them are, are attributed to David? You know, sometimes we, we think, you know, they're all 
King David's Psalms, but they're not. 75 of them are, are his. And, and did you know that one of the Dead Sea Scrolls uh, attributes 3,600 songs of praise, plus other writings to him? He, in other words, King David had a heart of praise, didn't he? You think about that. How many Psalms have you written? You know what I mean? How many songs of praise have you written? Just 3,600. 3,600. If you were to write one a day, how long would it take you to write 3,600? Right? You'd go 10 years. years. I know you're doing the math in your your head, but (laughs) it'd be a long time. Samuel the prophet had said, The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people, 1 Samuel 13, 14. And in Acts 13, 22, it is written, And when he had removed him, that is, uh, King Saul, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I found in David the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Psalm 89, 20 and 21 says, I have found David my servant, with my, holy hill, with my holy oil, I have anointed him so that my hand shall be established with him. My arm also shall strengthen him. This is spoken of uh, God's servant, David, King David. Now, David came from a large family. He was um, the youngest of eight boys, and he had two sisters. And David grew up in a time of of great conflict. In fact, it's evidenced by how it was that his dad had sent him out to see how how the battle was going. They were battling against the Philistines. And this was a time when uh, when, uh, this giant came and he was was, uh, saying these things about the God of Israel. And little David, little, little David was there with his... Uh, with all of the Israelites, and they were facing off against the Philistines and Goliath. And he said, how is, it, how is it that you guys are letting him talk about our God that way? He said, well, have you seen the size of Goliath? Right. And it's young David that, with one smooth stone and a sling, took him down. So there was conflict with David. He was fearless, though. Think about this. This man who sung God's praises was fearless and he was courageous. 1 Samuel 17, 34 through 36 made reference to him having kept sheep for his father. But he wasn't just like, if you go down towards San Diego and you look at the fields uh, like around the Menifee area, every once in a while you'll see a shepherd with a sheep. Have you ever traveled down that way and seen this? You you see a whole bunch of sheep and, and you see a shepherd out there. But this shepherd was different. David, as he was young and he was a shepherd of his dad's sheep, went, actually went after lions and bears who threatened the flock. This was no ordinary shepherd. He would protect that flock with his very own life. He was a true shepherd. But David was also a man who was a loyal friend. We know as it says in scripture that he was a loyal friend to Jonathan. He was also, keep in mind, he was also a loyal servant to King Saul. Just remember how it was that he had ample opportunity to take Saul out and he refused to do so. He wouldn't do it. Why? Because he knew 
that Saul was God's anointed. And he didn't dare touch him. He was loyal. He was a loyal friend. He was a loyal servant. He was a loyal husband until a certain day. Right? David was loved, but he was also hated. And he was hunted by Saul and had to flee to save his life. But later we know that young David the shepherd became king of Israel. David was a man of war with many successful campaigns. And David was also a man who made some big mistakes. Big mistakes. He had committed murder to cover up his adulterous affair with Bathsheba and experienced the death of his first child. You see, David was far from perfect. Having at least seven wives and 19 sons and one daughter and many concubines, David experienced major issues within his own family. From rape to murder to rebellion and a wife who had despised him for worshiping the Lord, and so much more. I give you all of this, because remember, we started out by saying this was a man who had written 75 of 150 psalms. We know from the Dead Sea Scrolls that he wrote 3,600 other songs of praise. And so I had to tell you all of that because he's an ordinary man, just like you and I. An ordinary person. And in the midst of all of that, he wrote all of that by a man that was considered to be a man after God's own heart. And the question that we need to ask is, why was David considered to be such a man? Such a wicked man. Right? We could honestly... With everything that we've said, wouldn't you say that's a wicked, he committed murder? Yes, he, he ordered the murder of Bathsheba's husband. Right? He, he, he did all of these things. Remember Paul? Paul. He, he said about himself, he says, I'm the chief of all sinners. Why? Because he knew his wicked heart. And yet he was a man who wrote about two-thirds of the New Testament. He was used mildly by the Lord. He was... Saul of Tarsus at one point. He was a man who was used mightily by the Lord. So why was considered to be such a man? Because he recognized God for who he is. This is important for us to come to grips with, to really understand. Do you consider and recognize God for who he is? And, as King David did, he saw himself for who he was. He was willing to confess and repent of his sins and praise God for his faithfulness, his love, his grace, his mercy, his compassion, his sovereignty, his strength, his wisdom, his promises, his spirit, his word, his majesty, his creation, his power, and so much more. If anyone would be in a position to simply lay down and just wallow in pity... It would be King David, wouldn't it be? I have did, I've done so much against you. You know, have you ever said, said I've done so much that I, I don't know if the Lord can forgive me? <laughs> have you done more than David? And yet this was a man who kept getting back up. That 
is key. He didn't wallow in pity. He kept getting up. He kept getting up. And he kept confessing his sins to the Lord. And then acknowledging him for who he is. And he kept going. Acts 13, 22 says, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Amazing that the Lord would say that, no? I don't know where you are or what you've gone through or what you're going through right now, perhaps, but there should always be room given in our lives to be thankful to God for many, many reasons, for who he is in our lives. Wouldn't you like to know personally this this heart? I'm talking about the heart of David. That was so thankful to God that he couldn't contain himself and wrote these beautiful words expressing this gratitude. I would like to know a heart like that. Like, I want to be like just overwhelmed, regardless of what I'm faced with, regardless of what I've done. That the, the Lord's grace and his forgiveness can cover it all. By the way, Christ's shed blood on the cross is enough to atone for your sins and the whole world's past, present, and future. David knew that. Paul knew that. And that's why they could just, they could keep getting up. A.W. Tozer said this, quote, Gratitude is an offering precious in the sight of God, and it is one that the poorest of us can make and be not poor, but richer for having made it, close quote. Gratitude is an offering. Would you this morning give that offering to the Lord of just gratitude? I'm just grateful for who you are. Regardless of the wretched man that I am, I'm just, I'm just grateful for your grace, for your, for your mercy, for your love. Let's take a look at some of David's gratitude. I just want to bring you through a few verses here and, and point you in the direction of the Lord. Let's take a look at some of uh, David's gratitude toward God and be encouraged to set our eyes on things above. Turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 22. 2 Samuel chapter 22. Now, this was just after uh, David and his men had victory over the Philistines. And um, so this was uh, David's song of deliverance. It begins in the middle part of verse 2. Saying, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior, you save me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. It's at that very moment that David was overwhelmed with gratitude. And he wrote these words. And David begins by saying that the Lord is his rock and his fortress. He's, he, he also refers to God as his refuge and his shield. Now, he said, my rock. Why would David look to God as his rock? And we, I know in, uh, you know in the church you hear a lot about the rock, you know, the strong foundation upon which we stand. You know, so we need to understand, well, what, what does that mean? You know, in that reference, in referencing 
uh, God as, as he's our rock. Right? Well, it's not like a small rock that you can move. It's like the rock of Gibraltar that is immovable. And that's the word that we need to really have in our minds when we think about the rock, about the Lord, about Jesus Christ. That He, God, is immovable. In other words, He's the same yesterday, He's the same today, and He's the same tomorrow. He's immovable. God doesn't change His mind like man does. He is perfect in all His ways, and His thoughts are without error. His promises are sure, and all of what He says will come to pass. And David knew he could stand on God as an immovable rock, a sure foundation. David knew he would never lose his footing on this rock. Not because his foot could not move or stumble itself upon this rock, but because the rock would never move. It was that which he stood on, that upon which he he would walk, he would take his steps, and he was able to stand back up on it over and over and over. He knew that foundation would remain right there. If he, he were, if he were to just get back up and keep going. That's what I love about God's word. I can look at it, and it, although I may stumble, you know, I, I can get right back up and know exactly where my footing needs to be. It doesn't move. It doesn't move. It's still there. His word, his promises, just go to it. You'll know it. You'll know what to stand on. Isaiah 33, 6, NIV, says... Quote, he will be the sure foundation of your times, a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. King David also referred to God as my fortress and refuge and shield. And of course, the question is, why would David refer to God like this? And this should be all the, the question that we are asking, constantly asking as we read through Scripture. And, and I hope that you're reading through daily, that you open up God's Word and you read. You should be asking questions like this. Why, why does David refer to God in this manner? Fortress, refuge, and shield. Well, God is impenetrable. The, the shield of faith, when you, when you have, just, that's why just a little bit of faith Oh, it is enough. If you exercise that faith. You put, you put up that shield of faith, and that's God. He's impenetrable. I mean, go ahead and shoot a 50 cal. <laughs> it's immovable. I can't even, what, what, do you, what do you want to throw at me? It doesn't matter. He's impenetrable. He won't go anywhere. His power does not fail. He's undefeatable. In Him, we are always safe. No matter what we experience and no matter how many enemies we have and no matter what they do to us, they can never snatch us out of the hand of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. They can take our lives, but they can't take our, our, our eternal state with the Lord. They can't take that. To, be, uh, to live as Christ, to die is gain, right? And so we know that for us, it's, it's just a win-win situation. God is truly a refuge to all who go, who go to him. If you go to Christ and you find refuge, what can penetrate that, that stronghold, that, 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 uh, that refuge? Nothing. No one can. 
God is truly a shield to all those who stand with him. 2 Corinthians 4.8 says this. This is what we can stand on. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. We can break that down. Let me give you this. Are you afflicted in some way? You won't be crushed in Christ. Are you perplexed? Perplexed about life. There is much to be perplexed about. There's, there's a lot of things that we kind of wonder and we have doubts and all of that. Do you know what it means to not be driven to despair? To not be led into this, this lie of being without hope. There are too many people today that are in that place of not having hope. In Christ, well, you may be perplexed about things, but you won't get to that place of being without hope. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. David knew this very well and said that he called upon the Lord who's worthy to be praised. It was because David knew who God is, that he confidently called upon the Lord and praised him. Because God is able to deliver, he's able to cover, he's able to save. And because David knew this, in spite of all his personal shortcomings, David lifted up a voice to God and praised him. David knew the Lord was worthy of all praise. God is immovable, he's our rock. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 8. Psalm chapter 8. Psalm chapter 8, verse 1. And this is a psalm of David. And he writes, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. And you have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Consider how glorious, how beautiful, how splendid and magnificent is the name of the Lord, which is speaking of God as as a whole. Who he is is encompassed in his name. Psalm 19 one says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. And yet God's splendor is beyond anything that the eye can behold. You know, we, we can only see, and we see dimly. We don't see things quite how we should, and, and yet we can look around us at creation in different places. I mean, the other day, the sunset was absolutely stunning. You know, you look toward uh, the Pacific Ocean, and you see these, these reds and these uh, pinks and yellows. And I mean, it was just like brilliant, wasn't it? 
And it was like the Lord just, here's a painting for you. And yet God's splendor is beyond anything that the eye can behold. His glory is above the heavens is what we read here. It's above the heavens. It speaks of our hope and His glory. Verse 2 says, Out of the mouth of babies and infants you have established strength because of your foes to seal the enemy of the avenger. Consider how God uses weak things to display His glory and power. Consider how God can and does give strength and perseverance in our times of weaknesses. You know, we sung the song, uh, when we are weak, we are strong. But it's not our strength. It's His strength. That's why He gets the glory. We don't get the glory. He gets the glory. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, the Apostle Paul writes, But He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ. Then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, the Apostle Paul, was his greatest concern was the glory of God. So Lord, if, if that brings you more glory, then so be it. Then for me... For the sake of Christ, the Apostle Paul said he was content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When when was the last time you rejoiced in those things? Normally, you know, really, when we're going through those things, what do we like to do? It's that C word. Complain. We complain. Right? We complain. We cry about it. That's the other C word, I guess. You can <laughs> we cry. We can complain. That's what we normally do. Check this out. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 31 um, says this. This is very encouraging. Uh, in a good way. For consider your calling, uh, actually, 20, yeah, 26, we'll start there. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Uh, not many uh, were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Now, this, is, this was a letter that was written to uh, the church in Corinth. But, you know, this is something to take into consideration because we feel very entitled today. You know, it's all about me, myself, and I. The world revolves around moi, right? That's the way it is. And so what the Apostle Paul is laying out to us here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 31 is, it does not revolve around you. And just listen to this. He chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, the weak things to show his power. 
And so that's why I am grateful to God. You know, for anyone who's serving the Lord should think very little of themselves to just not thinking of themselves. Not low, because God thinks the world of you. In fact, he, he thought so much of you that he sent his only begotten son to die for you. But for us, we should esteem other people more than us. Others of more value than us. Right? And what he's saying is the world does not revolve around you. It actually is all for the glory of God. And so he'll use you as the weak and feeble to bring the glory of God to the surface. That's pretty cool. I I think it's cool. Because I'm thinking... (laughs) You know, for any pastor that, that boasts, he has, apparently he hasn't gotten to this right here. Because it's right here that we are put in our place. Because it says here, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, just boast in the Lord. That's it. This is power. And so as we come back to Psalm chapter 8, It says, out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes. To still the enemy and the avenger. It's those moments that you're just put in awe. Like, wow, never saw that coming. Verses 3 and 4 speaks of the fact that we need to consider creation in us. Inside of all of that, as frail and small. If we were to stop and consider creation, the brilliance and mass of the sun, the detailed distance it was set to give life and not take it, to consider that we could travel at the speed of light for billions of years and still not get to the end of the universe, consider the systems of life within plants and animals, the beauty and power of the ocean, and then think about how God is mindful of man. Think about all of that. The fact that he's also mindful of you and me. Think about this. God is so big that creation fits in the palm of his hand. And yet he is mindful of man who is dwarfed within it. And even desires to have fellowship with him. Even inclining his ear to listen. And he sent his son to reconcile us to him so that we would be able to have fellowship with him. Colossians 1, 19 and 20 says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And then verses 5 through 8 says, Consider the glory and honor of Jesus. The glory and honor that has crowned man is seen and trusting in the glory and honor that crowns our Lord Jesus Christ. Our crown is our salvation known in Christ. That's enough. That's... We're crowned with salvation in that sense. Oh, that, that is enough. Verse 5 points our eyes upward on things above. Even though we have even fallen short of our stewardship of things on earth. In verse 9. Oh, the, the book ends. Verses 1 and 9. They're, they're bookends to the psalm. It says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The majesty and lordship of God. It's interesting. Scholars say that this psalm is all about man and his order and creation. But as I see this, it's actually more about God. Consider how it begins and ends with the declaration of the majesty of God. 
William Law said this, quote, The greatest saint in the world is not he who prays most or fasts most. It is not he who gives alms or is most eminent for temperance, chastity, or justice. It is he who is most thankful to God. Let us also approach the word of God with gratitude. Now, you know, you can have a, a skeptical eye, you know. But come with a grateful heart. Come expecting to see the majesty of the Lord. David asked, What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? In Job chapter 37 verse 14, says, Hear this, O Job, stop and consider the wondrous works of God. Job chapter 38 verse 1 says this, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. So Job was being confronted by God. He says, uh, another translation says, gird your loins like a man. And come answer me if you can. And and then God begins in verse 4 saying, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell, Tell me if you have understanding God is wonderful because he lays it out. If you want to be humble, just read the word and you'll, you'll, you'll be humbled real quick, just like that. And at the same time, he will tell you how much he loves you. Verse 5 says, who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garment, and thick darkness its swaddling band. And prescribed limits for it, and set bars and doors, and said, Thus far shall you come, and no farther. And here shall your proud waves be stayed. Is is this not the Lord setting Job straight? Listen, you don't know all these things. You, You weren't there, Job, in other words, right? Just set your eyes on the Lord. We, we don't know all things, but we should be, just be grateful. We should be filled, overwhelmed with gratitude toward the Lord. Just thankful. And the same God, the same God that was just described, just in those verses. The same God brings us to this place of allowing us to set our eyes on Jesus Christ. Hebrews 12, 3 and 4 says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. This same God that holds the universe in the palm of his hand, who the psalmist King David in Psalm chapter 8 said, Who is man that you're mindful of him? And all of, considering all of these things, who is man that you're mindful of him? This God sent his son to die on the cross for you. We haven't suffered as our Lord did. And David looked forward to his day. David has his, had his eyes set on things above and God, on God himself. And that is a heart that is set on praising God because he's worthy of our praise. Just putting things in perspective. That's all I wanted to do this morning is kind of just put things in perspective. 
You know, are, are you really grateful to God? Are you overwhelmed with gratitude toward the Lord? Do you know what he's done for you? Do you really understand how much he loves you? Because if you did, if we did, it would reflect on how we live our lives. It would be in response to the love that he's, he first demonstrated to us. We would simply live in response. It's not a better you. It's an all new you in Christ. With a new heart, new desires, a whole new perspective, and a brand new hope. That's eternal. The only way that David could praise God in spite of his shortcomings was because he understood God's grace. That was it. Today, you can know God's grace through Jesus Christ, truly having your eyes set on things above and having the hope of heaven. You see, for, for some of us this morning, perhaps uh, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. You, you don't know this, this God that, that had just, has just been described. For others, you need to be reminded of God's majesty, of his lordship, of his love for you, being strengthened and encouraged in the Lord having truly a heart of gratitude toward him. Some here need to recommit their lives to Jesus Christ. Have you heard enough to do that? I hope you have, because it doesn't take much. You, could, you, know, you know that verse, John three sixteen. You could take that verse, and by really thinking about it, come to a place of completely surrendering your life to Christ, in knowing a new life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You can be thankful for so much here on earth. And, and I started out by saying that I was thankful for so much here on earth. Um, this, this week I can tell you I've been overwhelmed. I've been overwhelmed with family and friends that have come and celebrated uh, half a century of me living. Yeah, I, I didn't ask for a, <laughs> didn't ask for a party, and on Monday I was shocked. I came through the doors uh, of one of our friends' homes, and I saw. I, I was expecting to counsel them, so please pray for them. I won't <laughs> give up their names. But Jesus and Liz, there are children's ministry. Uh, that's their. Um, you know, I won't say their names, full names, but uh, Camacho is their last name. And, boy, what a setup. I've been overwhelmed this week just, just the, from the love of the church and my family. And there's so much that I'm, th- I'm thankful for. I'm thankful for my mom, who's always encouraging. Always encouraging. I'm thankful for my wife, who's by my side. Always very encouraging, always setting me straight. You know, you need a wife like that, by the way. You need a wife who, who will love you enough to set you straight sometimes, right? But I'm thankful for so much. But like I said at the very beginning, the one thing I'm the one thing that I'm thank, more most thankful for is Jesus Christ, my salvation, because that endures etern- through eternity knowing God's forgiveness. And if you are thankful for that, there's much to celebrate in all circumstances. You can know that through Jesus Christ. You can know that. That kind of gratitude, that hope. 
It just surpasses anything that you can be faced with. So I'm going to bring you through this. John 14, 6 says this. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 3, 16, we've already said it a couple times. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. And whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 3.10 says, None is righteous, no, not one. So just in case someone says that it's by works, no. Uh, Ephesians uh, 2.8.9 says that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and not by works lest any man should boast. Right? So we can't boast about that. There's none righteous, no, not one. And Romans 3.23 says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we know that the wages of sin is death. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. And finally, Romans chapter 10. And this is where you can, if you've, if you've been brought through all of that and then you come to the understanding, I can't earn salvation. I don't know salvation. I can't get there through my own works. And I've tried so many different other ways to know this hope and peace. And if you've come to believe that Jesus is the Son of God who was sent on behalf of you to die on the cross for your sins, and that you believe that he was buried and three days later rose from the grave, and today sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for you and I, then Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Acts 4.12 There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And if you call out to the Lord, it says in Romans ten thirteen, you will be saved. So I pray that this morning, no one walks out of here without being completely and perfectly thankful to God for the gift of salvation through the Son. For He is the indescribable gift. Someone once said, quote, a state of mind that sees God in everything is evidence of growth and grace and a thankful heart. This is how we set our things, set our eyes on things above. So I'm, I'm going to pray for us in closing. And after we're done here, we're going to sing a closing song. And I would ask anyone who would like prayer, we're always up here. We're here for you after service to pray for you. Uh, we have uh, Stephen, who's our elder. He comes up here to pray. Some of the leaders come up here and are standing by. If this morning, in the middle of the prayer, you'd like to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, just ask the Lord, forgive me of my sins, and be my Lord and Savior. Come up to the front, allow us to pray with you, and we'll give you some things so that you can be encouraged in that new walk with the Lord. If you need prayer, come up for anything. For anything, whether it be health or relationships or whatever it is, just come up for prayer. If you come to that place of recommitting your life to the Lord this morning, come up for prayer. We're here. We're available for you at any time. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We are grateful for so much in our lives. You provide, you protect. And you save. Thank you, Lord, that it's not by our works. Lord, we would never get there. But it's by what you did. We thank you that we can cry out to you. And I pray for anyone 
that this morning cried out to you for salvation, that they would know that. In this instant, Lord, that you would pour out upon them your spirit and that you would seal them with your spirit to the day of redemption, that they would know that you now reside in them and that they are forgiven of all their sins, past, present, and future, that they too can stand on the rock and, uh, and know that you are immovable and they have a future in all of your glory. I pray, Lord, that you would encourage them and help them to set their eyes on things above. Any recommitments here, Lord, I pray, Father, that you would strengthen them. Lord, that you would remind them of how, how much you love them and for your church, that you would refine us, strengthen us, and help us to stand strong on the rock, Jesus Christ. We commit all this to you. We pray this in Jesus' name.